0: and and so it is it's that tension of the 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 calming practice of taking time away from the grind which is represented in this play by the practice of yoga but which could be represented in other ways um and the the constant frenetic energy that that she has written in this play as the kind of language of the corporate world Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob, that's Jackson. We are delighted to have you back this week for another conversation about one of those plays that is sweeping the country. Yes,
1: yes, indeed. Another another sort of, we're staying in the vein of sort of comedic, sort of uh, uh, sometimes irreverent, but other times reverent um, in its own way, sort of category of plays. Very, very, uh, there's some sort of like hijinks farcicalness to it, not so much as as much as much last week's play did, but there are some hijinks that the characters get up to and things like that. So excited to be talking about Yoga by Deepika Guha today.
0: Yes, yoga play is, it's quite silly in many places, like you've said, very comparable to POTUS from last week. There are moments of just wild visual humor, just hilarity throughout. And then I, I liked your word irreverent or reverent, this kind of uh, balance, because being uh, the the intentional taking time to sort of be reverent right is one of the practices of yoga not that I know anything about yoga but that's what it seems like to me from the outside and this play certainly uh is irreverent with that reverent practice
1: right <laughs> yeah notices some of the uh some of the... Um... The juxtaposition, the the hilarity, the differences, the the uh, uh, resonances and dissonances that happens when uh, a very uh, reverential practice like yoga or at least uh, kind of presence based practice meets up with capitalism and all the things that that come out as a result of that. So I'm excited for the conversation. It was an exciting read, um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to chatting about it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely that that combination, that clash, that meeting point of corporate – the sort of corporate uh, grind – with the kind of calm intentionality of yoga is is like that is where this play finds its humor is those two things smashed onto the same place yeah. <laughs> and I I mean I just have to say I don't think I've ever seen the phrase brand image used as often it is as it is used in this play it's the phrase of the play is brand image our corporate right. brand image and I, I feel the stress of maintaining that even just reading this place <laughs> set up as a really important thing to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Excited for the sort of uh conversation around that. The 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 sort of like the ebb and flow of the different characters as that brand image or as like authenticity becomes a thing. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Before we jump into the conversation, though, wanted to say thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash no script podcast for being patrons of the show. Thank you all so, so much. It is uh, such a gift to share this community with all you, all of you. Such a gift to uh, uh, be able to have these unscripted conversations about theater's best scripts, about all manner of genres and all sorts of playwrights and and works. Um, and the patrons over at patreon.com slash no script podcast make that happen. So thank you all so much for doing that. If you have not done, done that yet and you are interested in no, knowing more about it, you can head out on over to Patreon and you'll find us over there. Um, you'll find a number of different tiers of over there, the lowest one being just $1, $12 over the course of a year, other tiers and different rewards and things. But right away at that base level, you get access to patron-only posts, knowledge of the scripts we're doing and things like that, and access to the community that we are kind of building and, and a part of over there on Patreon. So if you're looking for a way to, A, help out the show a bunch, because thank you all to the patrons who help out the show a bunch, but also a way to get involved in the, in the community a little bit more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash podcast and we will see you over there.
0: Yes, big thank you to those who support the show. You make what we do possible. And now, back to the script. Here we go. Okay, Deepika Guha, she is, uh... A UK playwright um, born in Calcutta. She was raised in Russia in the UK, at least according to her bio. That's the language that is used. Um, Works out of America now, but I guess it gets. I'm I'm not really sure whether you would consider Dipukuguha like one of the kind of rising American playwrights or more of a UK playwright. Um, She got her BA, for example, at University College London. Um, That's a name that you'll see come up a lot when you start to study bios of writers. Um, And then ended up going on to be a Frank Knox fellow at Harvard. And then the kind of uh, real... Uh, impressive thing that we we love to see. Uh, Deepika Guha got her MFA at Yale, uh, where she studied with the luminary Paula Vogel. So uh, this is one of Paula Vogel's students. And I really do believe you can look at it. We've talked about this before on the podcast. The legacy of Paula Vogel on the current generation of playwrights is enormous. It is, I mean, not only in what she did and still is doing, she's still writing plays. I just am trying to get a copy of one of her new plays. Right now, today, I was sending emails trying to see if I could get a copy of her newest play. So she's still writing. But she influenced the landscape of playwrights, not just by what she did in the writing, and she did do a lot of influencing in that, and what theater imagination is, uh, but also in her teaching. She has been an incredible teacher to so many big-name playwrights, playwrights that are shaping the current landscape. So just shout out to Paula Vogel as we discuss this play by one of her students. Tebuka is really is best known as a TV writer right now. Um, You're going to recognize a lot of the shows that she writes for if you pull up an IMDb page. But for this purpose, let's just say two of them. She was a writer on American Gods, which, you know, incredible show, kind of a a groundbreaking show for what it was. And then The Marvelous Miss Maisel, which is an Amazon Prime show and also a really groundbreaking uh, piece of television for for what it was trying to do. So... uh, Really important TV writer, it seems like, now in the landscape. I admit to not knowing as much about the, te- the landscape of television writing as playwriting, but given her presence as a staffed writer on those two shows, it seems like she's you know a big deal in that landscape. Uh, some of our other plays, The Art of Gayman*, Unreliable. She's currently got commissions for the Manhattan Theater Club, South Coast Rep, Berkeley Rep, all big-name theaters, great places to be commissioned by. She's a member of New Dramatists and the Ma Yi Writer's Lab. She was the inaugural recipient of the Shakespeare Sister Award through the Lark, the Hodler Fellowship at Princeton University, and the Venturous Fellowship for her play Passing. Yoga Play was commissioned and produced by South Coast Rep in 2017. There's actually a great interview with her talking about when she got that commission, what she was thinking about, what she wanted to do. There was another idea for a play that she originally started out thinking about writing about immigration, about servant visas, Um, but then this idea for a comedy to bring people together to laugh at kind of California culture and yoga culture in the United States. So uh, that's of course the. Play that she ended up going with. So 2017, uh, world premiere there at South Coast Rep. It then goes on to have uh, a run at all the theaters that you would expect. Places like the Moxie Theater in San Diego, San Francisco Playhouse, Playmakers Rep in North Carolina, the Keegan Theater in D.C., Syracuse Stage in New York, and even getting out to places like the Salt Lake Acting Company uh, in 2023. So it's had a nice little regional theater run. It's um, I, I actually think it's probably kind of a hard play to produce for lots of reasons so it's sort of continued viability and life is a real testament to it's it gets rave reviews audiences love it it's very very funny i think it has some sharp pointed satirical things to say and uh is is still carving out a place for itself now what five years or so into six years now into its life
1: yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, definitely, and and just kind of surviving the the waves of COVID into into this season even, and and still seeing shows and things like that. I'm excited to get the chance to talk about it. Um, we're gonna jump into a quick synopsis of it just to kind of start us all off on a similar page. Um, uh, this play is centered around the company. Um, Ho Ho Man, I'm gonna say, or Jo Jo Man. Um, right away at the beginning, I'll say another note about, uh, as as is often our way, uh, another note about just pronunciations. There's a lot of pronunciations and things uh, of names or things like that in this particular play that I might get wrong. In this particular play, some of that is the comedy. Other characters do get it wrong as well, so at least I join the characters <laughs> in in getting some of the pronunciation wrong. But apologies if I say anything uh, any, any names incorrectly as I jump into this. Um, uh, But this play uh, focuses on the company Johoman, is how I'm going to say it. Johoman. It's a yoga company. Um, It's specifically a yoga apparel and supply company. Um, It's kind of based in Southern California. And the characters are these. There is Joan, who is the character description gives uh, in her early 50s, white American. Raj, mid-30s, South Asian American. Fred, mid-30s, Singaporean. Ramola, mid-20s, Latina American. And Guruji, early... 40s, early 50s. Um, And some surprise is left as to what his ethnicity is, um, which will come about in in just a little bit in the play. Um, The, uh, the play takes place as joan has become the new ceo of uh joe joe homan um and she is uh right away the play opens on this conference call between her and john the owner who is kind of the you know classic owner who is never in the building um owns owns the building apparently had a old ceo named brad and some sort of uh, uh, uh situation emerged with brad and he's no longer with the company um and, uh, and so he's out traveling the world. It comes
0: out of the, the, the Lululemon scandal, which many people know about and actually has sort of recently come back into the news for whatever reason. But, you know, so many years ago, six or seven years ago, the the guy who was in charge of Lululemon said some uh, – who, who founded it, I think, said some fairly unfortunate things about women who wore plus-size, uh, you know, like – Athletic apparel. And that is sort of the premise of why the, this CE, the former CEO of the company in this play was fired. So it was very specific and topical, especially when it came out.
1: Yeah, and so that's kind of what Joan is leaning into in this this uh, conference meeting. She's leaning into this pitch where she's saying, we're going to start making size 12 um, athletic wear and yoga wear for people. Um, and she's kind of having to cajole John into this on the phone. You see uh, Fred and Raj on the call as well. And it's clear that there's like some cultural, the work culture things that they like know that John isn't on board with this. But slowly, Joan moves John towards at least saying, that he'll go ahead and let you do this. I'll, I'll let you do this, Joan. Uh, go ahead and we'll see what happens. John, then importantly, for the rest of the play, says, I'm going to be gone for uh, four weeks at least, a long time. He's going to be completely unplugged. Um, so you won't be able to get a hold of me. See ya. Good luck. Hope that all works. Um, and so uh, John kind of logs off. Joan uh, has has permission, kind of a big win for her in the early stages of her CEO-ship and uh, starts that process rolling. The next scene, we get one of the lunch scenes with uh, Raj and Fred. There's a couple of these throughout the play and it's them eating lunch of carrots and kale and green juice and kind of like noting some of their uh, state in the world. Um, uh, Raj is kind of feeling unfulfilled. He wants to kind of feel more more. They talk about goals. They have this banter back and forth. Um, and Raj comes from a somewhat, uh, a well-to-do family. He went to Harvard. Um, and, uh, that's kind of juxtaposed with Fred, who is like still sending money back to his family in Singapore. And so they kind of clash on their differences there. Um, all while trying their best to uh, not acknowledge the fact that they're stressed. Because if you work for this particular <laughs> company, which calls itself a family, stress is something to avoid. So uh, they they kind of commiserate over that as they note Joan's leadership is kind of moving them in a new direction. And they feel some stress about that. Um Joan in uh, the next scene is talking to one of their uh, staff out in uh, who are kind of traveling around trying to find a new factory to start making these products and they've landed on one in India um, and uh, she's talking to Lucy who is the staff person out there and as she's talking to Lucy Fred breaks into the room and delivers this news that the that the uh, an investigative reporter was along on the trip. He's gone around to the same factories that Lucy has just said that they're going to use to kind of develop these products and people are buying these products already. Already. Some time has passed, a little bit at least. And uh, it's the, it's discovered through the investigative pr- reporting that these factories are using children workers to make the products. So right away, uh, the news starts to get out. It's the whole investigative report is coming out that evening. It vastly spins out of control. It's put on Twitter. Everything blows up. And there's this big kind of fallout as a result of it, where their stocks all fall. And so right away, Joan and Raj and Fred kind of get into this like, damage control mode and what they land on is Joan says well John's out of town for X amount of time we have that amount of time to fix it John's not here who's the main like brand image of the authentic person um everyone who buys from uh jojoman it buys because John is this authentic person he's out for right now who else can we bring in we need a guru we need someone with some sort of uh um positional authority over yoga to try to uh save us in this moment and give us some kind of brand image back. So she says the first place to try is L.A. So they start looking around in L.A. for a a guru and uh, they uh, kind of uh, cast a wide net at first. And uh, it turns up uh, Ramola, who is a yoga instructor at a very famous um, yoga studio. It's most likely an anagram or analogy for another studio in Southern California somewhere. But I don't know what studio that is. Um, But uh, but she is kind of caters to stars and things like that. Does a lot of like specific types of yoga, Um, but none of it is really traditional. Yoga, And so though Joan shows up and uh, interviews her real quick just to try to figure out if she's going to be the guru for them, uh, she is not. Romola kind of uh, (laughs) yells namaste at Joan as she leaves the room as is a repeating motif in their interactions and Joan kind of moves on. Um, what proceeds then is a more brainstorming. They bring out a whole bunch of people that they try to find gurus to try to be this brand image. And there's always something that's wrong. However, finally, Raj suggests that they try his family connection. Um, uh, his He calls his family um, and he calls his mom specifically. And she's like, oh, well, uh, your uncle has been going and seeing this guru um, to try to help with his cancer treatments and his worldview around that. Let's get you into contact with him calls his uncle um, during another one of the lunch scenes with um, uh, Fred and Raj, um, which is a, another impactful one. Again, they're still stressed. Again, they're still eating uh, carrots and kale and drinking green juice. Um, but it, but we learn a little bit more about them. Raj tells us a little bit more about his family, and Fred tells us a little bit more about his history about being gay in Singapore and how that is not was not accepted, how he was thrown in prison for a while, and how he is now in this company as a result of John's kindness, and so he's committed to trying to make something work because it's, it's what what ties him to here, it's what helps him keep his green card, it's what helps him support his family. So he's an invested interest in a way that Raj doesn't necessarily have in the same way. Raj's uncle calls. He says that he uh, will hook him up with this connection. Um, and so uh, Raj brings this uh, report about this yogi who is uh, going to uh, step out of the caves of the lower Himalayas and uh, join them and help them out. It is his, we learned that their name is Guruji um, and that he is going to be coming. He uh, ascended or, or descended out of the caves, uh, cloaked over, and he's going to arrive in LA and help them out of their situation for the low cost of $10 million given to a variety of orphanages in the South Asian area. Um, and uh, so they, they agree to it, though it is painful, and eventually, uh, he uh, starts to uh, make his way through the airports, and etc. on into L.A. During this time, we d- discover more and more about Joan. Joan has this kind of, like, breath condition that she slowly starts to kind of panic in situations. She doesn't seem to, like, acknowledge it. Um, But finally, in this scene, as more and more of the p- moving pieces continue to move, she passes out as a result of her kind of shortness of breath. She wakes up in Romola's studio, of all places, because she has no emergency contacts in her phone. And the only card she has in her wallet was Romola studio card. So she wakes up. Ramola kind of talks her through waking up and uh, the state of her life tries to help her reach a moment of enlightenment. Um, but uh, Joan quickly gets a phone call from uh, her staff that the Guruji has arrived and uh, he is going to meet them at the office. They all arrive at the office. The lights are out. Guruji begins to kind of uh, uh, say these uh, these rather deep enlightened things, trying to coach them through some moments. Lights are off the whole time. Um, and Right as they're like he's perfect we got the press conference we already have it scheduled they turn on the lights and there's a, a cry from everyone as they discover that Guruji is a clean shaven white man end of act one Act two begins in the kind of chaos of that moment. They started to try to figure out the best way to um, uh, uh, fix the problem that they've created as they sort of stereotypically believed that this would not be a white man. Um, And so uh, they start to kind of do the work of trying to find someone else, trying to figure out some other way, all the while Guruji is kind of there spouting different enlightened things, trying to help them as best as as he can. But what they land on as the plan is this kind of elaborate um, puppeteering almost... um, a role for Raj, who is going to get into costume. Uh, kind of long beard costume, go out and do this press conference that they've already scheduled to have this expert of authenticity arrive and help them out of their brand image issue. So what follows is a kind of a training montage, if you will, of Raj as he goes to Ramola in the getup of this uh, Guru Raj, uh, which is what they decide to call him, um, and go through the yoga practices. We see uh, that there's some sort of spark between Raj and Ramola, um, uh, but eventually he uh, returns to Guruji to to get some advice. Uh, the advice that Guruji gives him is mostly silence. Um, and uh, eventually, Raj falls asleep the day before the press conference. The morning of the press conference arrives. He wakes up. They're going to just kind of push him on out there. Um, he doesn't know that much about yoga or what he needs to talk about. But they say that they're going to put these in your monitors and have Guruji on microphone, and everything will be fine. As soon as he gets out onto stage um, to talk with uh, Lauren Clark Rose, who is like one of the brand managers in Colorado for for Man, Guruji slips away uh, from the microphone and is nowhere to be found. So he's left hanging out on live television. And what he ends up spouting is this, um, anti-capitalism, stop buying things so much. It just hurts you to buy more things. Um, uh, you you can you can find an enlightened path uh, if you just stop if you start listening to yourself and stop buying things so quickly joan and fred cut the feed um and uh, think it's a disaster of course the inverse is true everyone loves the moment and starts buying things online um but out of this kind of uh this crisis moment, everyone kind of does reach a stage of enlightenment. Raj comes back um, and says, I'm actually going to take a break for a little while. I might go on this trek with Romola. See, ya, I'm going outside at least. And so he leaves. Uh, Fred says, I'm not going to do any more work for you until I get my green card. And also you're going to give me two weeks leave to go back and see my family and also uh, kind of connect with some people from from back in my past. And so he eventually leaves. Jones lover. A lost lover from his past. Um, Yes. Joan kind of grieves that she feels so alone um, and also uh, notes how hard it's been to kind of be consistently outsided by a lot of companies. We know that she's been in uh, a CEO role in a coffee company before and was thrown out. So she feels quite alone. But then Guruji kind of comes back in one last sort of mystical appearance by him and uh, helps Joan kind of name her compassion as one of her main attributes and and kind of walks her through a guided meditation, sort of, um, in the last couple moments of the play which ends with them sort of meditating in the room. So this high hijinks high kind of ends in this reverent moment um, as uh, they've managed to escape or at least uh, re- recover the sh- shareholdings of their company <laughs> out of their moment of disaster. And that's about and,
0: it. And that meditation in that she finds her breath, right, and it's that sort of sustained, yeah. controlled breathing that ends the play and takes her to a kind of other place where she. The this description is that the the office walls sort of fall away. She sees the universe bursting with light. Um, and then the cell phone rings, of course, brings back in that kind of corporate grit and grind. Right. Um, and, and so it is. It's that tension of the, the, the calming practice of taking time away from the grind, which is represented in this play by the practice of yoga, but which could be represented in other ways. Um, and the, the constant frenetic energy. That, that she has written in this play as the kind of language of the corporate world, the constant cycle of do it, do it, do it, do it more, do it bigger, do it better, go, 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 go. That's the, that's the language. That's the presentation of corporate America in this play. And that's where you get this kind of back and forth tension.
1: Yeah, yeah, you get you get all these all these characters trying to have this sort of like stress-free existence. Selling 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 this uh, ethos of family, selling this ethos of peace, selling this ethos of uh um, uh, care and synthesis with the world, all in this high stress pressure cooker <laughs> that they're trying to synthesize that with, um, uh, and uh, and you see you see the fallouts of it, you see the mistakes made, and you see uh, uh, how uh, it's just like over and over when they're trying to find the gurus uh, to come and try to save them. They they just make these classic mistakes each time. They forget one little piece of information, and of course that manifests ultimately in Guruji showing up in in uh, being like a Southern California dude who just went out and found himself.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it one of the questions perhaps that's asked in the play of this company, this company which I think by by no. Uh, means, am I saying anything world-breaking here, is a kind of stand-in for the Lululemon companies of the world, where part of the sales pitch is a more authentic you, a more centered you, uh, right? Like I, if I wear this particular they they call it athleisure wear in the play, right? I'm going to have access to uh, the more enlightened me, right? And so they bring in, or they try to bring in, like a real guru from the Himalayas who has access to this sort of deep, spiritual authentic practice, and they try to fit that into the messaging of their corporate brand image. And really they've been doing that the whole play before it even becomes the express purpose of the characters. One of the things that happens in the very first scene, this corporate boardroom with uh, Skype with the founder and, and they're discussing their sales and they're discussing whether they're going to have plus sizes and blah, blah 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 blah. One of the things that happens is in the middle of a kind of heated moment of the discussion, this the founder, John, via he asks everybody to stop, and they they all grab hands, and they take a breath, and he even leads them through kind of an imagination exercise that might you might see in like a counseling session. And that, they, they don't continue with the imagination exercise throughout the rest of the play, but the grabbing each other's hands and taking some sort of conscious, regulated breaths together continues throughout the play. And to me, that sets up already this, like, this is a corporate boardroom where sales figures are being presented where marketing strategies are being presented where all of the things you expect from corporate america is, be, is happening and at the same time they're taking moments to take these breath exercises they're saying things like we don't call them our customers we call them our families we don't call them a, a marketing plan we call it a vision you know all so there is all, the 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 play sets up from the beginning like can this organization be both Can it be authentic and regulated and healing and healthful and still winning in the rat race, right? Winning at selling. Can they mark up their prices even more? Can they get the products made more cheaply? Can they sell them to more people?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Deepika Guha in one of her interviews talks about uh, the, the the nexus and of authenticity and wealth, um, and and how this play is definitely like zooming in on that nexus, and and California being the perfect sort of setting of that of like yes, gold rush, and also the yoga movement and authenticity and self actualization movement. All of that is out there, so you have that sort of like trying to hold the two together. And I don't know what do you think? I mean the the, the the what do we think the the characters find out can they hold it together um or is there like some sort of like moral that's taught amidst the comedic hijinks of this play?
0: Well, it the the, the characters that we meet in the three corporate executives do achieve their goals to some degree or other, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I, Raj is yeah. the one to me that I'm a little hairy on his goal, although he says at the beginning of, actually, I'm not. I say, I take all that back because actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, it's very clear. Because he has a conversation <laughs> with Fred where he says, My goal, and I feel stupid now because he literally <laughs> says, My goal yep, <laughs> is yep. to feel something. <laughs> Sometimes it's so (laughs) obvious, it just goes over your head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so by the end of the play, he does, right? In his relationship with this yoga practitioner from L.A. And Fred wants to be able to go back to the country that he immigrated from and see his family and perhaps to have a relationship with this lost lover because being gay in this country in Singapore is, is illegal and so he hasn't been able to live out that part of himself. So he gets that by the end of the play. And Joan finds the kind of peace and the regulation of her breath, which has been a physical, psychological problem for her throughout her career, and so she achieves that by the end of the play. So, you know, for those three characters, I think you say yes, yes, and yes. But... The thing that actually happens in the play is that a guru gets on a, uh, an interview. and I'm saying, you know, we're going to use the word guru because the play does. But I, there's a lot there, right, of, about appropriation and about representation and things. But the play is making fun of all that. So let, let us use that for just a moment. The, this guru, who is a fake guru, but nobody knows that. They all think this real guru gets on and says, hey, don't buy any more stuff. Don't do it. Consumerism is killing you. It's killing you. Don't do it anymore. You have to find the answer inside yourself. And if we believe the sort of narrative we're told about, the response to that afterwards, everybody goes, that was brilliant. Of course we should do that. And then they buy more stuff right. from this yep. brand. And so there is a there is an association of a brand creating an image which could even be an image that runs counter to the idea of the brand as a as a, like a marketable product, yeah. and that as long as the brand image feels truthful and authentic, it's going to drive sales. Even if the brand image is anti-sales.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Over and over, there's the the there's the the phrase said of like, what did John say was the the thing responsible for our success? And Fred will say marketability, and then the other person will say authenticity. And Fred's like, yeah, authenticity, right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, there no, is and it's a-
0: Actually, I just, I want to let you keep going on that thought, but I just want to mention how it appears in the script, because it's even cooler than that. The script has this feature where, and it, this appears a lot in contemporary plays, sometimes the playwrights will put words in parentheses and they're designed to be kind of a side or kind of sotto voice, kind of whispered. Like, they're not part of the main track, but they're a little bit of, like, commentary side conversations. And so anytime they bring that up, right, like, what is the crucial to the success of our company the uh i think it's fred like does in that parentheses sato voice whisper it's marketing and then (laughs) the person will say authenticity and that like the play is making that connection between marketing and authenticity
1: yeah 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 absolutely so over and over you see it kind of uh, a recurring theme of them sort of like holding the two of them together and to have it come to such a such a great fruition of the like uh, the 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 auth the authentic uh, position that Raj eventually finds, which is truly authentic, because he's in this sort of like panic state before, <laughs> where he doesn't do anything, and then there, it, it, the play describes him going into this almost like Zen mode, like going into himself, taking out his earpiece, and just like kind of delivering this thing from the heart that he actually believes, despite all of his education, all of his ability to run for Fortune five hundred companies, all of his like stakes in trying to figure out a way to navigate through this chaos. He says this thing from the heart, it is truly authentic and the response it generates is a, a massive market market success. <laughs> so yeah, it is It is interesting to, I, I, I think I sort of agree with you that each of the characters do find a way to authenticity. Um, uh, almost almost sometimes against um the the uh, move to wealth. Um, certainly Raj, I mean, Raj kind of comes from a a, a bit of wealth of his own. Um, but he's sort sort of stepping away from the company fully. It's a brave move by Fred to
0: step away. And I don't I, – yeah, Raj's ending is one that I don't quite know what to make of. I'm not really even sure exactly what happens. He he leaves. He says he's going to go outside and get some air, and they ask him like, well, are you coming back? And he says yes, but my feeling is that the subtext is no. But they, right. he's planning to go to uh, to the Himalayas or to India or to wherever with this person that he's now going to have a relationship with but under the false pretense that he is this guru like I don't <laughs> I don't quite understand yeah. the plan and I maybe you're not <laughs> supposed to maybe they're like the lack of security is part of Raj's development because all throughout the play, he comes from this really stable place. My understanding is that his parents are very wealthy. They're really settled in Delaware and that he has been in a stable place for his whole life. And so it's that moment of instability when he's on the interview and he doesn't have any support system. He has to come up with it himself that he finally achieves some growth and then he moves to a place of like not having a plan. That being said, I don't know what the plan possibly could be <laughs> Are you just gonna like, continue to date this person, pretending to be a guru from the Himalayas? Like, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, Because because the whole like the whole training montage of him learning how to do yoga with Ramola is added in its hijinkness to uh, by the fact that they introduce him under the pretense of him not speaking any English. And so, uh, Fred has to translate into Hindi, which Fred doesn't know, um, (laughs) what Ramola is saying to him so that he could assumedly understand it. So yeah, there is, there, there are real questions about about what happens with Raj and Ramola. (laughs)
0: And just real, like, it's it's maybe not quite slapstick, but it's sort of in-your-face, like, good gut humor, I would call it. Like, that whole sequence, so he, Raj is learning yoga, and he's not, he's not like a yogi at all. He doesn't do yoga, he doesn't have a practice. He's very clear at the beginning of the play, I don't really do yoga. And so he, like, a person who doesn't do yoga, is learning yoga while pretending to be somebody else, and there's being translated to a person who's just making up the language on the spot. So for every, like, yoga instruction that They give. It's being translated into a fake, made-up language, and he's trying to do it. So I mean, all that is just like big gut. Like, you're, you're, it all it bypasses your brain entirely. You're just like, this is funny because it sounds funny and looks funny, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's hilarious. And and j- just to watch Fred try to like come up with words, Romola notice that the words sound pretty similar to English, etc. All of that is just like really, really funny. Um, a, a slight gear change, but sort of the antithesis of that I feel like is the restraint because that's like like just laugh out loud, laugh out loud, funny. But then there's so much of this play that has quite a bit of restraint, especially around what information is given to the audience by the playwright and the characters throughout it. Um, I think of the, the 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 long gap between the two lunch scenes is a good example of like, we get a couple bits of information queued up about Fred and uh, Raj in that lunch scene that don't pay off all the way until the second lunch scene, specifically some of Fred's story, some of the privilege around uh, Raj's story and the difference with Ra- with between Fred and Raj And that. We also have a very slow burn of trying to figure out what's going on with Jones like the 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 kind of the her catching her breath stuff is a really subtle thing in a pretty fl- uh, a play Filled with pretty flashy dialogue. <laughs> like there's a lot of talking yeah. happening all at once, and Joan just slowly hyperventilating and eventually it becoming a big enough problem is a real nice slow burn. And of course, we like figure out later on, much later on, actually, that she worked for the coffee industry. And I don't know about you, but I work in the coffee industry, and there's plenty of time that I spend regulating how much caffeine I get and my breathing. Um, so you so you start to like piece together some of like, oh, well, maybe that had something to do with it as well, but also the enormous stress that she's under as an an executive and as, a, as an administrator as a woman in that industry so so you just it's just really this play does a really good job at slowly slowly developing information and keeping you like wanting more about these characters to keep to, to keep you interested in them as on their journey even as it's a comedic journey
0: no I, I agree Th- this play is so full of events like it, it like so much happens. Yeah. Every scene, and this is in some general way true of all the best drama no matter what, but in every scene, like some big thing, like actual event in this story occurs and we're just sort of flung forward into the next phase of it. And so that becomes a lot of stuff happening. I mean, your yeah. synopsis was longer than our synopsis usually are because like we try to hit the major events of every play and there, <laughs> there are a lot so of major events in this play. <laughs> and so, yeah. I think you're right that it is the um, the, the there is a contrast in the sort of big movement of the play, the energy and the drive and the number of events and the things that we're supposed to pay attention to. The subtle relate, the subtle mentions Fred has of a lover back in his home country that he can't be with. The little bits of Raj's sort of privilege and his journey and that that are unfolded throughout. And, I mean, breathing, what could be you're right, what could be more subtle than breathing in a play that has big slapstick moments and big visual gags and things like that and this is perhaps all wrapped up in this play being about contrast and it's just another example of contrast of of putting this the sort of story of the play way out in front and then asking you to find the real story of the play in much smaller character moments throughout.
1: Yeah, little glowing gems of really deep stuff going on for these characters. Guha has another phrase that she used in one of her interviews that talks about uh, different languages of displacement being spoken in this play. And each of the three main administrative officers of this company um, are speaking in some degree of languages of displacement, of like trying to navigate, not quite figuring out how to be completely in a state of belonging in this thing that they found themselves in and s- continually trying to navigate that, negotiate that all while trying to strive as well for a sense of belonging and a sense of resonance with what they're doing and in the world around them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, what's interesting to me about this play, I I don't think I've read a lot of plays where uh, like CEO types are the central characters. Yeah. I was thinking a little bit about why. Because, right, for a long time, plays and stories tended to be about... Uh, really privileged people especially royal court type folks, nobles and heroes, and, kings and yeah. queens nobles, right? And then there is this move throughout theater history that you can see happen uh, where it becomes more about everyday folks and I wonder, this play almost feels like a shift back like this is, uh, you know, in, in America, like s- the CEO types are kind of our nobles I mean, we're we're such a highly competitive capitalist corporate society That those are and it's interesting talking about this play in contrast with POTUS, too, right? Because that play literally is about like the governing people. And so two plays in a row now, we've talked about like people who who on a very fundamental level run our society. And both plays are just about absolutely slaughtering those people, (laughs) just just absolutely making them out to be buffoons, (laughs) page after page after page. And there's something, there's a little bit of like a pressure valve that is released of like, I mean, I think a lot of Americans, no matter what side of the political aisle you fall on, have concerns about how much of our everyday lives are in the hands of people whose lives are nothing like our lives you know, mm, yeah. because of their money or their privilege or their wealth or their protected position or whatever, like our lives are so determined by people who are nothing like us. And of course, that's been the case for a long time. Kings and queens ran everything for a long time. They live nothing like the peasants. But I think that, you know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, like a lot of Americans have some concerns about that part of our society. And now two plays in a row, there's been a little bit of like, yeah, but at least you can say that they're idiots. <laughs> Ha,
1: ha, ha, ha. Well, yeah, it is. In- it is interesting. Like, like I would, I would, I would have no problem sort of like saying of a classic play or something like that, especially of a classic comedy. Yeah, the playwright is clearly saying of the noble class, they're not all that. Look, they barely have it together either. We're right, all just yes. the same. We're all just clipping along. I do find some like scared resistance in myself to say that of the the what I think you're drawing really good attention to the kind of current noble class of our society. Um, are the runners of companies. So it is interesting well, that even... I mean,
0: listen, no, nobody sticks around to the end of our episodes to hear all the jokes we've made about Elon Musk and Twitter. Those are going unheard by anybody but you and unheard. I. We're the only ones that have listened to that. Buried uh, but, uh, in uh, our you social you media You haven't stuck around. You've, mi- you've missed our ongoing commentary about the futile uh, evolution of Twitter. We <laughs> so we're, we're already doing it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Speaking of Twitter, just before we're, we're coming along towards the end of the time, we need to talk about one of the big elements of this play as well is the, the tech of this play. This play calls yes. for quite a bit of multimedia integration into the play, not only with uh, kind of pronounced uh, moments of, of social media explosion, like there's the the Twitter storm that happens when the news comes out that the factories are hiring children workers and things are using children workers to make the clothing. But also there's there's whole characters who don't come on stage, who exist on intercoms, yes. who exist on Skype, who exist on TV, um, that never make a physical appearance, but who are nonetheless pivotal characters in the play.
0: And and here's what I noticed that's so interesting about that, because you're right, there, a whole chunk of the play is like communication through digital means. Skype, intercoms, phone calls, blah, 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 you said all that. Here's what's crazy about it what I noticed one of the times through, they're all like really bad at it. Like it's not flawless digital communication. Here's some examples, right? There are a couple of different groups that do this. So the play begins with John, the founder of the company on Skype in this, like, I guess, board meeting or executive session or whatever. And Right away, as Joan is giving a presentation, he spills something on himself and goes out of frame to clean it up. And then she's, you know, are, are you still there? And he says, oh, I popped back on. Oh, yeah, of course, I'm still here. I just had a spill, blah, 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 blah. I mean, why include that? What does that have to do with the plot of the play? I don't know. But then later, he has these moments where he's talking to his dog and it accidentally right. comes through the mic and sounds like he's talking to them. Why include that? What does it have to do with the plot of the play? I don't really know. But it, but you see this come up again and again to where it must be intentional. When Raj talks to his parents on the phone, they're constantly talking over each other to such a degree that it's hard to ever tell what they're saying. Why include that detail? I don't really know. When the secretary character is on the intercom, at one point, Joan calls for her, and the stage direction is that she answers mid-yawn. Yeah. Why... Why include that as the stage direction? I don't know. And then later, she accidentally calls Joan mom and is like, oh, I was so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. But why include that? I don't know. But any individual one, you might say like, well, that's a weird sort of distracting detail to include. But the accumulation of them, it becomes really clear that something is happening with people communicating through these, all these electronic means that we communicate now and doing it very imperfectly.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of like again dissonating with the auth- authenticity of connection with people. Um uh perhaps is is a is a way to kind of synthesize all those. But yeah, it, it's interesting that you know this play kind of being before Zoom, Skype is still the main mode of uh, operation. We've had such a boom of like being able to have conferences online in the last 3 years out don't, of necessity. Don't you
0: think you would you'd make it Zoom now? Like yeah. don't you think that the 2022 2023 productions Probably went with Zoom instead of Skype.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think it might
0: be distracting to go with Skype nowadays just because of how, like, Skype just lost that world completely. It,
1: it just doesn't make sense that they did either. It does but anyway, <laughs> I
0: know. I'm with you. We say that though. We record this podcast over Zoom. Actively on Zoom years right now. Before the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I,
1: I agree that there is something interesting in all of those kind of moments of fumbling technology. Um, with this group of people who are trying to not fumble connection and authenticity. Um, So, so there's, there is the kind of juxtaposition of that as well. There's also just the spectacle of, so the spectacle of the Twitter storm and then the spectacle of this sort of like, last moment of enlightenment that happens um, where like the universe is opened up. That is also like, those are, those are big tech moments for, for anyone who is kind of interested in, in, in developing cool technical moments that are pivotal to the story. Those are two big moments that the tech gets to shine as it's like most of the time tech does the work. uh Technical theater does the work of like supporting in such a way that you never know it's there. But these two scenes are really interesting, pivotal moments where you get to like, see it there and have it be a central part of what's happening.
0: No, I agree. I want to go back to something you just said, though, because you used the word, like, authenticity in connection with these, like, weird mistakes. Hmm, That's what I would call them. They're, like, weird mistakes written into the play. Like, the the one to me that stuck out to me that made me sort of realize what I thought was going on was that what I mentioned before, where the secretary answers mid-yawn. Yeah. Like that's written in as the like uh, advice for the line. Like she answers mid yawn and says, and I remember getting to that point and being like, w- what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why? <laughs> and it's not it's not ever mentioned. It's not. It's not like if we brought up, like, oh, why are you yawning? Oh, I was really tired last night. And that's why I made all these mistakes. Like, it has nothing to do with anything, except that it's written in as a requirement of the script. And again, it, any individual one makes you confused, but in 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 aggregate, there's something happening, and I wonder if it has to do with that. That the question of the play of authenticity, like, is there something too when these characters are just making these little every, you know, like John spills on himself on the Skype call. Like, is that is in in making mistakes? Are are we seeing moments of real authenticity from mm. the characters where it's it's hard to front, like it's it's hard to put your best face on when you just spilled water on yourself. Like, I don't know, but there's. It feels like that's close to what's going on. I'm not sure that I've quite grabbed it there yet, but there's something about these continued little mistakes and the question of authenticity that are interrelated.
1: Yeah, no, I I, 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 I agree with that. It'd be interesting to kind of view them as as another symptom of whatever the the true undercurrent is. Um, uh, because because yeah, that 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 move towards authenticity and the kind of question mark of how do we get there or how do we ever do we ever, uh, uh, present ourselves in such a way in a public fashion that is truly authentic. Can we get there? Um, I think all of them are actively in that conversation with each other. Um, and, and yeah, so so there's, there's, I, I imagine there'd be many different, different, facets and ways that we could continue to talk about this play. It's it's, as you mentioned, there's, there's so many things that happen in it. So many different actions, um, so many great lines. Like we could have zoomed in on a, on a number of different kind of individual conversations. Um, alas, we're towards the end of our time on this particular podcast, but the good news is the conversation can persist after this, uh, this, uh, recorded one ends. Uh, we'd love to keep chatting about yoga with all of you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, and x at the username at NoScript podcast <laughs> we also have a Come gmail no podcast at gmail.com
0: <laughs> just wait in like 10 years it'll be twitter again and I will be vindicated um, do you think it will what's your best bet if you had to bet your life savings on whether it'll ever be twitter again <laughs> right now what would you bet right now like half of it maybe I don't know uh, <laughs> no 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 if, you had, if somebody said you have to bet your whole life savings one way or the other <laughs> What way would you do it? What where would you? What would you have? I to have to
1: one things? way or the other. I would say, yeah, yeah, I would say that in in someday it will be Twitter again. That's that would be if I ah, have to do it. Yeah. I would say that.
0: That's wild. is, it doesn't know, make man. sense. There's nothing. To, it's you stupid. don't. You don't. Oh, it's so dumb. You don't do Elon, anything with. it. If you're listening, man, it's so stupid. <laughs> Go back to Twitter.
1: <laughs> Once again, we, we are talking to Elon X? at the end of this. Come
0: on. <laughs> Somebody send this to him, Elon. Right. That's the stupidest thing you've ever done. <laughs> nah, that can't. That's also not true because you also can't have done many other stupid things. Yeah, right? <laughs> but that's up there.
1: If you find us on any of those places. We'd love to keep chatting about this play with all of
0: you. If you like this conversation or any of our other conversations, please recommend us to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes scripts, stories, discussions about writing and how it works, send them our way. I think they'll like the podcast. Theater heads definitely will. Anybody like that, they can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, all those kinds of places. You can also like our Facebook page because every Monday, a link to the new episode just appears on the feed. You can click and play from there. It's a nice way to find us for the less tech savvy folks in your life, as long as they got a face. Book, they can easily follow the podcast we will be back next week with another conversation about another great script yes
1: good to chat with you this week looking forward to the one next week until then i am jackson that's jacob thanks for listening to no script the podcast